Welcome to Animal Health Insights. This podcast was created to connect producers, veterinarians, and animal owners, and to introduce you to the people and the organizations who are working to support animal health in Canada. Our podcast is developed with the support of the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Todd. Let's get started. Medical doctors and veterinarians both include antimicrobials, otherwise known as antibiotics, in their medical toolkits to treat bacterial infections. In this age of antimicrobial resistance, both types of medical professionals are keenly aware of the necessity for judicious use of these medications for their patients. Zoonotic bacteria are of particular interest to both human and veterinary medicine, as they can infect a variety of species. To practice excellent antimicrobial stewardship, Veterinary and public health specialists work together to monitor and assess the prevalence of zoonotic bacteria and the resistance patterns of these bacteria to different antimicrobials. The Canadian Dairy Network for Antimicrobial Stewardship and Resistance was created with input from experts, producers, and veterinarians across Canada, and will provide valuable information to help improve herd health and public health in the years to come. Doctors Javier Sanchez and Luke Heider spearheaded this collaborative project to develop a scaffold for monitoring zoonotic bacteria of public health significance and monitoring the use of antimicrobials on Canadian dairy farms. Welcome to Animal Health Insights, Doctors Sanchez and Heider. Thanks for having us. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. So it can be a bit confusing for food consumers to understand why and when antibiotics are used to treat medical conditions in food animals. Dr. Heider, could you explain some of the reasons that antimicrobials might be used to treat infections in dairy cattle? Sure, that's a good question. We use antibiotics on dairy farms for a variety of reasons. We use them to prevent disease. We use them to treat animals that are sick. We use them for a a number of conditions. Mastitis is the number one disease of dairy cattle, and we use uh, probably most of the antibiotics that are used on the farm are used to treat and prevent mastitis. So we can treat lactating dairy cows if they have an infection in their udder, or we can use them at dry off to treat any existing conditions that they have or prevent any infections that might occur in the dry period. Other things we might treat for would be common diseases like pneumonia, some types of uh, scours or diarrhea in calves and and, and also adults. So we use them for a variety of reasons. We're doing this because it's our responsibility as veterinarians and also dairy producers. Uh, We have a responsibility to take care of that animal. And so, you know, not treating them, it really isn't an option if they're sick. We need to, to take care of those animals so that they give us the dairy products that we want to eat. So it's a a welfare issue. You know, if they're sick, we need to uh, get them treated and get them cured up so they start to feel better and can start to make milk again. And how do we ensure that people aren't exposed to antibiotics in food products from an animal that might have been treated? Yeah, so that's another great question. Uh, You know, we have withdrawal times uh, that we follow. So for most antibiotics, they have milk and meat withdrawals, and those are the time interval between uh, which an animal is treated with a drug and then the time frame uh, from then until which we can use that animal or that animal's products for food for humans. So we spend a lot of time recording treatments and also withdrawal times to ensure that we're not putting milk in the tank uh, that's adulterated with antibiotics and that it's safe for humans to consume. What do we know about antimicrobial resistant bacteria that infect cattle? 
we know a fair bit about that. We know that antimicrobial resistant pathogens in milk are extremely rare, but we do have some concerns about antimicrobial resistant bacteria on beef that comes from dairy cattle and beef in general. And so we try to use antibiotics prudently and judiciously so we minimize the chances of resistance occurring. So some of those bacteria might be uh, Salmonella Dublin, for example, or other Salmonellas. We know that there's a concern about third-generation cephalosporin resistance in enteric pathogens and Salmonella. And those are, those are important because, especially in, in young kids, uh, third-generation cephalosporins are the treatment of choice for salmonellosis in them. So if a human or a, a young child gets infected with a Salmonella that has resistance to Ceftiafur, and Ceftiafur is a drug that's commonly used in, in the dairy industry, we know that it's, it's also going to be resistant to human drugs as well, human third-generation cephalosporin drugs. So it's important that we minimize uh, as much as we can the occurrence of these resistant pathogens in the food chain. Thankfully, you know, we, we do have a great food safety measure with pasteurization. So pasteurization makes the milk that we drink very, very, very safe. And so that's less of a concern than it would be from beef or, or hamburger that comes from cold dairy cows or calves or anything like that that would come from a dairy farm. So there is concern about that in the beef side of things. And we want to make sure that that, that happens as little as possible. So we try to use our drugs prudently. And this kind of gets into my next question, because I'm curious about why we as veterinarians and others who are public health specialists, why do we want to monitor the use of antimicrobials? And why are we monitoring antimicrobial resistant bacteria that might infect dairy cattle? Yeah, so I kind of alluded to this in the last answer a little bit, but, you know, we, and I guess, you know, including animals there, we, we live in a sea of bacteria and, and, and those bacteria are able to a lot of times infect cattle and they're able to infect people the same way. And so it's a real, it's a one health type of a situation where the bacteria that affect food animals affect people as well. And so one of the ways that we can get infected from that is through the food chain, Another would be just from contact with animals and things like that. So it's important that, that we use antibiotics the right way in the dairy industry because we don't want to contribute to those antibiotic-resistant pathogens occurring in, in humans. So in, in veterinary medicine, we don't have families of drugs that are only used in humans. You know, a lot of the drugs that we use, the families anyway, in some, some cases also the drugs themselves, but the families are also used in human medicine. So if we see resistance with a certain type of antimicrobial in a pathogen like salmonella, there's a good chance that it's also going to be resistant to the human drug as well. So we do get uh, cross-resistance from animal drugs to human drugs. And so really, really important to use the antibiotics the right way, which the dairy industry is trying to do, and uh, that we use them for the right reasons. I really like that image of a sea of bacteria because that is really the case. They're in us, they're around us, they're in the environment, they're in animals, and they're pretty much everywhere. So that's a good, a good image. I know that in order to monitor the prevalence or the presence of antimicrobial resistant bacteria in dairy cattle, we needed some kind of structured system. And this was the huge task that you both took on as part of setting up 
the Canadian Dairy Network for Antimicrobial Stewardship and Resistance. Perhaps you could both tell me what are the main goals of this network and who worked with you to put this network together? Dr. Heider? We had a lot of help in developing this. We had, you know, just a, a, a lot of people were involved. A lot of different organizations were involved. Probably some of the biggest contributors were from the Public Health Agency of Canada, Dave Leger and, and Danielle Rizzo. So it was definitely a collaboration. All five Canadian vet schools are involved. Also uh, Memorial University. And we put this together, well, it was in response to a call from the Dairy Farmers of Canada, uh, but we put this together essentially to mimic other programs that the Public Health Agency of Canada had already ongoing in the turkey and poultry sector and also the pig or swine sector. They were already had programs looking at antimicrobial use on those farms. And they also were looking at antimicrobial resistance in some important bacteria, namely E. coli, Campylobacter, and also Salmonella. So this program mimics uh, the programs that were already occurring there, but we didn't have anything like it before for the dairy industry. So we thought it would be important to get this uh, program going, and uh, we again, we had a lot of help getting it done. Javier, do you have anything else you would like to add to that? Oh, yes, sure. Just to complement to what you said, Lucas, the, the idea was to improve the national system and, and as you mentioned, uh, the national surveillance system for antimicrobial resistance in Canada called CIPARS, led by the Public Health Agency of Canada, have a strong on-farm component for the other commodities. But as you probably mentioned before, the, the issue of, of antimicrobial resistance is very complex and in, involve not only the one commodity or, or, or one source of bacteria, it's just uh, the result of, of the complexity of the interaction of these different systems, plus management practicing that farmers and veterinarians are in general doing. So this was an opportunity uh, based on the interest and a priority from Dairy Farmer of Canada to incorporate this, this component into the national system. And, and that's what we've been doing since 2018 when we submit the application and then funded. And this round of, of the proposal will finish in March of next year. During that time, we enrolled uh, 150 farms across the country in five different regions. And then uh, three major components were implemented during this time. And we have what we call the antimicrobial resistant component, where we take manure samples once a year from different age groups and also from the environment of those farms. We have uh, an antimicrobial use component, given that usage is one of the main drivers of resistance. So we want to quantify how much uh, drugs or uh, antimicrobial are being used in those farms. And then we complement that with a third component, which is what we call a questionnaire, where we try to get some information about management practice associated with usage, but also associated with biosecurity and general demographic of those farms, like the standard type of production. So that's uh, kind of the overview of, of the system that has been implemented. And also the idea was to provide a platform for research and, and across the, the institution that are collaborating in, in the program. 
And so how did you select which farms were going to be included in the first version of this network? Yes, this is, a, I guess, an important point because it's all this system will encourage costs and labor. So we have to find a balance between what will be the optimal system to what we can accomplish. And Dr. Heider mentioned the, the collaboration from veterinarians that we have established for this project. And that was kind of the main reason of selecting the farm that are participating is through the clinics, the veterinarians, the practitioners that were involved in these regions. And they, working with them, they identifying the most typical client of dairy farm that they work with in, in that region. And from there, we select a total of 150 farms that is enrolled and then um, for the duration of the project. And then we follow those farms over the four or five years. And the farms are dropped, we're replacing with new herds. That's how this, this is what we call a convenient sample, but it's at least it's practical in the sense that it's going to give us a picture of the most common practices within those regions that we're studying. And then could you tell us a bit about how you measured, I guess, first off, the antimicrobial resistant bacteria in these participating cattle herds? And then how did you measure the antimicrobial usage in these herds? In order to measure if these bugs are resistant, what we do is, as I mentioned, we take a manure samples. So these are feces from different age group. We go from young calf, middle-aged animal, and then the, the group that is producing milk, the lactating cows. And from those uh, manure samples, we bring it to the lab here at ABC, and then we took those samples, we culture that we call, so we put in a, in the media, in the lab, and then we make those different bacteria that Dr. Hayden mentioned to grow in those, uh, from those samples. Once we have a bacteria, um, what we call an isolate, then that bacteria is tested for using a system that we have here to measure the susceptibility to a different antimicrobials. And we measured that in a, in a numeric scale where we established, or well, there had been established what we call different cutoff points. So if the result give us a value that is beyond what is expected, so we have to, it's, a, it's, it's based on a dilution system. If we go beyond that cutoff point, then we classify the bacteria as resistant. If it's below that, we'd say it's still susceptible to the antimicrobial. Just in practical term, if, if it's susceptible, we can recommend that if there is a treatment needed using that drug, then it can be used and we will expect a result in terms of removal of the bacteria. But if it's beyond that, then it's resistant. So that's how kind of in rough term, how we measure resistance in, in each of those farms. Antimicrobial use is the other big component of the system, and this is, has been, uh, or is in today's uh, research on antimicrobial resistance, is uh, one of the hottest topics in terms of how we're going to measure these. And the way that we did it here, first we initiate something that is called a garbage can audit. So it's, we put beans in each farm, and we ask farmers to throw there all the container from the truck that they use during a period of time, and then at the end of that time, what we do is uh, do a tally. We count how many container has been used. And we, from each of those labeled container, we establish the drug that's been used and the quantity that has been used. And then from there, we, we estimate the amount of antimicrobial use in those farms. 
this method is very time consuming and require a lot of work from, from the farmers. So what researchers from the project have been working on, on establishing a more automated system to capture the usage, but looking at the sales record from veterinary clinics. And this is what we're trying to establish at uh, the national level is to develop a system that from clinic we can capture all the sales record and from there quantify the uses. And then from there we can go back to the farm and provide this information to each of the farmers and vets in terms of like a benchmarking tool where they can monitor over time how much they're using and then related to the antimicrobial resistance. So who was involved in actually collecting the samples that were collected from these various farms? That's a good point. I, uh, and I guess maybe one of the characteristics of the system was to include field worker that we call. So in some cases, field worker could be a graduate student. In other cases, are technicians that are paid to go to the farm, collect those samples, collect the information from questionnaires. And that's uh, how it's been set up in, in many of the regions from the project. But when there was a particular graduate student that needed to go and collect the sample, that was the person in charge of, of collecting the sample. The work, all the field technician was extraordinary going through COVID, changing provinces, sampling, I guess. I mean, that's a good point. This happened during COVID, so it was, it was challenging to get everything done. We couldn't have done it without the technicians either. So, I mean, if we didn't have the collaboration of everyone, it wouldn't have happened. Where did the samples go to be tested? All the samples are going to be shipped to the central node that is here in the Atlantic Veterinary College. So at the lab, every sample comes and is processed with the same standards. And we follow the standard of the national surveillance system, but we kind of remove variability across labs and trying to be as standard as possible. But of course, that uh, shipping from BC or Alberta might take some more time than shipping or bringing the sample from Nova Scotia into the lab. But I guess we, as Dr. Hyde mentioned, with the big support from the Public Health Agency of Canada, they are being in charge of those logistics, providing the kits and all the sampling supplies. So just to minimize everything that could affect the, the processing and the quality of those samples. So what were some of the initial findings of this monitoring system then once you started to get some data rolling in? The major finding that we are seeing now is the overall that the level of antimicrobial resistance, as we expected, was low in this farm. So there is, from the three major pathogens that we are culturing and following, we are not finding a high level of resistance to many of the antibiotic use. We have some variability, so there's still some indication that some of the farm might have a higher level of resistance than the other one. And, and this is where we're investigating in terms of most likely this is related to usage and also to what other factors like the number of animals in the farms and the use of biosecurity measures and so on. But overall, the level of resistance is quite low and very low compared with other commodities. So I think this is what we expected, but also it's good for farmers just to know the what might be the risk into the public, I guess, of being exposed to some of these drugs. Well, that sounds like pretty good news then. How are, are these 
research findings are going to be shared with the producers, either the producers that participated or producers in general, and the veterinarians. Yeah, this is a, a great point. I guess I didn't mention in, in the component of any surveillance safety, but producing and getting back to the the, the end user is, is quite important and communication is important. So the way that we're doing this is through different methods. So one is just a simple report going back to the vets and then the vets will communicate with the farmers. That's what we have implemented in the system now. The group and that belong to CIPAR, to the national system, is taking over now to produce those reports under the, the surveillance system. So this is, was the communication that we established to get back quickly with the report in terms of resistance and usage. In addition to that, we have also established meetings that we bring the industry, we bring the government, we bring all the other institutions that are participating in, in the project, and we present the, the main results from the surveillance component and also from a research point of view. We, we have a strong research program with graduate students in, in all these institutions, and, and there is an opportunity for them to present their findings as well. So those are the main activities, but as we'll communicate through, I guess, magazines and that kind of setting in, in terms of more informal for just getting back to the industry. Now that you've established this network, have you found that there's any limitations to either the methods or the way that it's been set up? Anything that you'd like to kind of iron out in the future? Yeah, as any system, we, we have limitations. So one, one of the main limitations is the, and any other system, is how we're going to sustain this in, in the future. So keeping this going and enrolling farms is, is a challenge. But I think what the way that we've been doing this is being taken now from the research piece, the, the initial phases, and being incorporated into the national program. So that will secure that sustainability piece. The other limitation I think is, and it's between funding and practicality of, of the system is, is how representative, how we can increase or improve the representativeness of all these findings across different production type and different management practices across the country. And that's a difficult task, and even uh, in, in Atlantic Canada, where we have a, a much smaller industry in, in that in Quebec and Ontario, so our sample here are much more representative, but it's difficult to get with that number of farms representing the 10,000 dairy farm that might be in Quebec or Ontario. So we need to be careful in the interpretation extrapolation of those of, of the finding. But I think uh, the first block, how to sustain that, I think we, we made a big step in incorporating the system into the national program. The other one, I think it's more difficult and we have just to be realistic and war with, between reality and funding and what we can accomplish by establishing those profile of resistance. I understand that as part of the development of this surveillance system, there were quite a few offshoots in the realm of graduate student research. What have we learned from these research projects so far? One other characteristic of the setting was that when we were developing the framework for this project, we have very clear since the beginning that we're going to have the surveillance part and the research component. So from the get-go, we established we, we have seven graduate students working at the different institutions 
with different type of projects. And for example, here at and in, in Eastern Canada, we have a student working more on the overall setting of the surveillance program, how to improve, and uh, what are the main limitations, how we can go forward uh, with the system. So that kind of result allow us to establish and to um, improve the collection of the sample, the timing, the type of data, how we're going to set up the, the database. Uh, everyone can have access almost in real time. The other big component was, okay, what happened with this resistance as we mentioned about the main pathogens, Campi, E. coli, and Salmonella. So we, again, identifying a low level of resistance low level of animal with salmonella, campylobacter, and so on. So those are important findings. And the most important is the variability that we obtain. So we can pinpoint farmers or, or region that tend to have a high level. So then we can discuss what are the major difference between those regions. Other group in, in wealth, for example, they were looking more detail at all the treatment records that have been used and what are the most prevalent diseases or health issues in calf. So PhD students there were looking at and trying to identify, uh, again, the major reasons and, and how we can improve what are the main factors associated with those resistance in, in young animals. And the group in, in Western Canada was more interested in the mastitis and the selective dry cow therapy and what are the effects compared with the blank therapies in terms of uh, resistance and, and in, in that sense of, of the uh, mastitis and other health. And then uh, Quebec have as graduate student working more on the usage and develop interfaces for farmer and veterinarian to quickly access in, in a graphical way and uh, something that they can understand when developing the benchmarking and assessing the potential intervention that they can implement. There's quite a lot going on for, that you guys have put together as part of this network. We have the surveillance system itself. We have some graduate research. Are there any other unique components that you've added into this system? What I can think of or something novel that we're implementing is developing a biobank that we call, so a repository of all these bacteria that we culture and then we keep dry in the freezer there and then we identify with a unique barcode. So later on, let's say we get funding to do more research into what we call the genomics and DNA and associated the, the presence of different genes that can be associated with resistance in those bacteria. Then we have that repository that is made available to everyone in the network. So that's one component that I guess we initiate that, we're, we're going to continue to work on that and finalize that repository. And the other big component is the digital platform with a graphic interface to complement the work in Quebec, but just to do it nationally with all the veterinary clinics participate in the project. So we identify um, how many different administrative software or computer system each clinic use. And then from those systems, what are the outputs that we can use in terms of for quantifying sales? And then from that sales record, then compile those in one database and then uh, get those numbers crunching in the computer and produce the metric that farmers and vet can use for benchmarking. I think those are the major ones. And I guess 
the last piece is that we submit a proposal for the second round of funding. And if we get successful on that, then we'll continue with implementing some of these changes and, and continue with the surveillance of the system. Luke, maybe you have something here that you want to add into? No, not necessarily. I think you hit the highlights. You know, I think the, the biobank or the bank of isolates is going to be important. You know, it's interesting because we can, you know, down the road, uh, a number of years from now, we might want to look at the organisms that were collected from this phase of the, the surveillance system and the resistance uh, in salmonella change, for example, or was it the same? Or So it's the repository is, I think, a really nice part of this uh, because it's, it actually saves those bacteria and anyone, you know, down the road in the future that wants to, to look back, they can do that. So, yeah, the biobank, I think, is a nice part of this. So what are the next steps then for this surveillance network? And how could interested producers or veterinarians get involved in these next stages? The next phase is the national system will take over in terms of the, the logistic and coordinate all the sampling, but working under the structure that we develop here. So our role, I think, is going to be more on developing research projects that can use the data that's being collected and, and inform veterinarians and farmers. So those are, I guess, the next phases and Hopefully, we'll wait for the round of funding soon and, and we can continue to work with the, the industry and in this area. We are planning to have a meeting, a final meeting for the first round of funding in the end of February. And then uh, we are contacting all the industry, veterinarians and, and institutions across the country that can participate and where we're going to show the findings and the next step in the daily program in antimicrobial resistance. It really sounds like such a, a huge effort from all of the academic partners and industry partners and veterinarians across Canada to put this network together. What are you guys proudest of in regards to the network as it exists so far? One of the, the main activities or things that I'm proud of is the collaboration that we establish with everyone involved here. And, and uh, from our monthly meetings, everyone is always active and providing ideas and putting every effort to get um, things done and samples submitted. So I, I think that that show that, I, I guess, uh, that we can work on this large project and I think the important thing is it be able to delegate to or to recognize institution with key activities that they can lead and that uh, I guess make the network a real network where we can all contribute and all learn from each other and I think including the researcher with the government with the veterinarian with the producer in this environment it was a uh, a very rewarding activity and, and hopefully on the other side they think the same and and they're willing to continue with this kind of project. Yeah, I guess I'd, I'd kind of echo what, what Javier said, you know, collaboration, because it was a big effort to try to get this going. Uh, you know, we have collaborators in academia, but also the, the you know, the federal government with PHAC. We have collaborations with private practitioners and, and then also the farm. So, um, you know, without, without any of those people or those institutions, it'd be hard to get this done. I guess the second thing I'm proud of with this is just that we got 
your surveillance system for the dairy industry. Uh, you know, dairy industry is a it's a big industry in terms of, of food production, uh, not just milk but also beef as well. And uh, you know, we before we didn't really have a, a great way of figuring out uh, how antibiotics were used on farms, but also what kind of resistance uh, that was coming off of those farms into those animals and potentially into people. So, you know, the development of this system, I, I think, is a big step forward for people to feel safe about the food that they're eating. Thanks so much to you both, Dr. Sanchez and Dr. Heider, for explaining a bit about this network and all of this proactive work to protect dairy cattle health and human health in Canada. For those of our listeners who have interest in learning more about the Canadian Dairy Network of Antimicrobial Stewardship and Resistance, we'll share some links to the research paper and to some webinars that are highlighting some of the student research projects that are affiliated with this work on our CAS podcast page and at CAS.ca. Thanks for joining us. The Animal Health Insights Podcast is a production of the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System. CAS is a division of Animal Health Canada and it is broad-based support from livestock sectors and government. CAS brings together data and information from across Canada in order to demonstrate animal health and to guide planning on national animal health priorities. Effective disease surveillance can demonstrate the health of our animals, and it enables prompt action to minimize the negative impacts of disease. Funding is provided through the Agri-Assurance Program under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a federal-provincial territorial initiative.